like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Exodus this evening, Exodus chapter 21. We've been studying through the book of Exodus in the course of this year. In chapter 20, we have the famous, um, within this chapter, the Ten Commandments. And this becomes the basis of the remainder of chapter 20, leading us into chapter 24. From chapter 24 onwards, God expands on the building of the tabernacle, the uh, means of worship, aiding God's people in worship. And you might recall a number of weeks ago, we studied verses 23 down to verse 26 of chapter 20, dealing with the issue of worship in how to worship God, worship God in spirit, in simplicity, and uh, with sanctification. And, um, and now we move into chapter 21. And from chapter 21 onwards, we have, as I've said, an expansion I guess you could say, of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments can be summed up in our responsibility towards God and our responsibility towards fellow man. And it's no coincidence that verses 23 to 26 of chapter 20 deals with, first and foremost, our responsibility towards God in our worship, to worship Him correctly, as opposed to just going through the motions. And now we move into chapter 21 and there is an emphasis on how we are to treat one another. Note there in verse 1 of chapter 21, it reads, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. It's important to always bear in mind even though there are, for example, specific portions of Scripture that address the nation of Israel, there is profit for all in all of Scripture. Because 2 Timothy chapter 3 teaches us all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable profitable in doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. To what end? That you and I might be matured, perfect, and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So when, for example, we read a book like the book of Exodus, we should read it as if we are reading a New Testament book like the Gospel of John, looking for application. And God tells us very specifically, for example, note there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just keep your finger there in Exodus 21, we'll return there in a moment, but just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Bible here teaches us that what happened within the um, uh, history of the nation of Israel was for our learning, uh, for our, uh, as an example to us, as a means of admonishing us. Note here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it reads, Now all these things which happened unto them for ensamples, that they 
and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So the Bible teaches very clearly, whatever we read of taking place within the history of the nation of Israel, there is profit for you and I uh, in application. The immediate context might be dealing with Israel, but within what takes place within the nation, there is profit for you and I as Bible-believing Christians. So I'd just like to encourage you that as you read the Old Testament, read it with the same intensity that you read the New Testament. I get the feeling that that is not normally the case. And I get the feeling that for many of God's people, we would even have to admit that we skip certain books of the Old Testament because we struggle to uh, uh, pronounce the names, uh, understand the context. Uh, But all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So with that in mind, let's go back to Exodus chapter 21. And we have from verses 2 down to verse number 11, God addresses how servants or slaves are to be treated. Now, these verses, verses 2 to 11, let's just read verses 2 to 4. If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he come in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by him. So we have here in the first portion of chapter 21 some governing principles on how to treat a slave. Now these verses deal with how to treat a male or female Hebrew slave. That is the context. Now the general principle to enslave a fellow Israelite was forbidden. It was forbidden. But, but among the Israelites, due to poverty or debt, you could sell yourself into slavery. It's volitional. You sell yourself into slavery to pay a debt or you are in poverty. That was permissible. But the time frame was only for six years. And in the seventh year, you were to be set free. The master was, your master was obligated to provide 
for you and to release you on year seven. Note there in Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. There in verse 39. And if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee, so this is an example of a Israelite that has um, that is struggling financially, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bond servant. And what that basically means, a bond servant was a permanent uh, slave. In other words, you had to commit to only enslave for six years and you had to release on year seven. So the master of that Jewish slave was obligated for only a period of six years to enslave that individual and then they were to be released. Now go to Deuteronomy chapter 15, please. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 12 to 14. And if thy brother, an Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go from thee. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally or generously out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy winepress for that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. So the master was obligated to provide for that slave during the time but also upon release. So this is not normal slavery as we know it. If a Jew fell on hard times, uh, they were in debt for whatever reason, or they were in poverty, they could uh, volitionally um, offer themselves as a slave and their master was obligated to look after them, provide for them, and then upon their release they were to be given uh, goods in departure, they were to be given uh, goods um, uh, generously. So it was possible for a slave to choose voluntarily after that period of time to remain under the master permanently. This is what we call a bond slave. Okay? When you commit for life. So it was possible for a slave to choose voluntarily uh, to remain under the master permanently 
And uh, if you go back to Exodus chapter 21, in verses 5 and 6, it addresses this. And if thy servant, verse 5, shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door, or under the door post, and his master shall bore his ear. This is traditional ear piercing. <laughs> this is how they used to do it. They shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Okay? So a master of a Jewish slave had the obligation to look after their slave, to treat them well, to provide for them. And if that slave over that period of time decides, I love my master and I'm content to serve him, then that master, if he is willing, he can take him on as a permanent slave and he becomes known as what is called a bond slave. And the evidence of being a bond slave is that one of his ears was pierced symbolizing a willing servant, a bond slave. And then if you if you just go back there to Exodus chapter 21, So that's the essence of verses 2 to 6. If you had a need, you were in debt, you're in poverty, you could uh, volitionally choose to become a slave, your master had to care for you, and then after six years they were obligated by law to release you, but if you so loved your master that you want to remain in a permanent relationship with him as his bond slave, then that would be marked by the piercing of the ear, reflecting your willingness to remain under the master. Now, note then verses 7 to 11. From verses 7 to 11, we see that female slaves were to be treated differently to male slaves. Look at verse 7. And if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servants do. So in treating slaves or treating a Jewish slaves the male and the females were to be treated differently. Many of the female slaves became concubines or second wives. And if a daughter that became a slave was not pleasing to her master, she could be redeemed by a kinsman, according to Leviticus chapter 25, verses 47 to 54, but never sold to a foreigner, okay? 
So if you had a slave and you weren't happy with them, you could sell that slave to somebody that's related, a kinsman, somebody that's related uh, to you. And then if you look at verse number uh, 9, it reads, And if he have betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. If she... If this slave marries her master's son, she was to be given family status. If the master married someone else, once again it is emphasized that the needs of the female slave, such as food, clothing and shelter, were to be provided. And that's the essence of verses 10 and 11. If you take him another wife... Her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall not shall he not diminish. And if he do not these three unto her, then shall she go out free without money. So, so these are some guidelines in how you were to treat a volunteer slave. And... Um, and as it reads there in chapter 21, verse 1, now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. And the, the application I want to make is this. We see within this passage of Scripture principles of care, dignity, respect for fellow man. Even though circumstances were different, these individuals that had to volunteer themselves into slavery, they were to be treated with honour. They were slaves for a season and they were to be treated with care, dignity and respect. Because whether slave or master, you and I are created in the image of God and should be treated honourably. Now, when we think of slavery, we think of abuse, don't we? We think of being disadvantaged. And, uh, but that's not how it was to be amongst God's people. Slavery was forbidden, but if you fell on hard times, you could volunteer yourself to be a slave, to pay debts, to meet your needs. But even though you have the position of a slave as opposed to a master, you were to be respected, you were to be honoured, you were to be treated correctly, honourably. So as I've said, when we think of slavery, we think of abuse and being disadvantaged. But this is not how Israelites were to treat fellow Israelites that were disadvantaged, that were poor, that were in debt. They were not to be mistreated. There is a lot of talk today 
about people treating one another with respect. And I hear it all the time within the business world. I think I'm sure that you, just like I, have been on the phone, for example, waiting to talk to someone. And it's common to be given the warning that verbal abuse will not be tolerated. And your patience is appreciated. It's very common. Now, why is that so common today? That wasn't how it was. Obviously, there's a serious issue here where people are not treating one another with respect and honour and dignity. See, people want to be treated appropriately. We don't want to be abused. We don't want to be disadvantaged, do we? And I see within the instructions here given in relation to a volunteer slave, the principle concerning treatment and how we should treat one another. No matter your position, whether you are a master, whether you are a slave, we are created in the image of God. And we need to treat one another with respect and with honour. Especially fellow believers. May I remind you concerning Galatians chapter 6 please. Galatians chapter 6. I think we need to be reminded time and time again. Go to Galatians chapter 6 please. In verse number 10 it reads... As ye have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Note the next word. Let's say it together. Especially. Unto them who are of thee. Let's say it together. Household of faith. So we are to do good unto how many men? All, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let me ask you this evening, how do we treat people in general? Are we kind? Are we patient? Are we gracious? Or are we demanding? Mean? Belittling? The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, Love thy neighbour as thyself. And I see within the guidelines given here in Exodus chapter 21 in relation to a master and his servant that there needs to be a respect, a honour, there needs to be well treatment. 
between fellow human beings created in the image of God. Go to James chapter 3, please, in the New Testament. James chapter 3. Note the contrast between worldly or earthly versus heavenly wisdom. Note here in James chapter 3 verse 15, down to verse 18. Verse 15, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. So what kind of wisdom is uh, earthly, worldly, sensual, devilish? Look at verse 16. But where envy and strife. Envy and strife. There is what? Confusion and every evil work. Envy and strife. That is devilish, sensual, earthly, so-called wisdom. But look at verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Godly wisdom has pure motives. As we treat one another, it should be with pure motives. You know what it's like. You've, you've conversed with those individuals that you have a suspicion that they're after something. Somebody calls you and you haven't heard from them for years. What's their motive? Wisdom from above is first pure, pure motive, and then note there, verse 17, then peaceable. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, the sons of God. Not wanting to war, but to cultivate peace. The next one, gentle gentleness as opposed to harshness or anger. I love this next one, and easy to be entreated. What does that mean? It means to be workable, cooperative. Some of us are more cooperative than others. You know of individuals, and I hope that you are not one of them, people that are difficult to work with. And they purposely are difficult to work with. That's not wisdom from above. Full of mercy. What does mercy mean? Receiving that less than what I rightfully deserve full of mercy 
and good fruits. Then look at this, without partiality, without prejudice. And without what? Hypocrisy. Genuineness. And the fruit of righteousness in so is sown in peace of them that make peace. So, so we have here in verses 17 and 18 some wonderful principles on how we should treat one another. Our motives should be pure. We ought to be seeking peace, not World War III. Gentle, workable. Have you ever had somebody say to you, I appreciate your cooperation? I appreciate that you're willing to work with me on this. That should be said of you and I, should it not? No matter what the issue is, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. This is the fruit of righteousness. This is the fruit of one that is righteous in Christ. And just like God gave guidelines within the nation of Israel on how a master was to treat his servant, we have within the pages of Scripture principles that should govern our lives and how we should treat one another, whether you are a master or a servant. And if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will manifest the fruit of the Spirit in how we treat one another. We can exercise leadership in how we treat others. We can be firm. We can be honest. But we can do so lovingly, guided by the Spirit of God. And as we noted there in Exodus chapter 21, if, if a fellow uh, Jewish individual was disadvantaged and had to voluntarily be a slave, then you had to be careful to care for them and provide for them and treat them with honour and dignity. And didn't our Lord Jesus say, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples by your love one for another? So I see here as a way of application this evening, out of Exodus chapter 21, the principle of how we should treat one another. And we also see in this passage as a way of application the principle of how our master, the Lord Jesus, treats us as his bond servants. Our Lord is not a cruel, harsh master. He is a loving master. We had once the sentence of death within us. 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. But now we have eternal life in Christ. He has purchased us out of the slave market of sin. And as sons, we are his honourable servants. Quickly go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Note then verses 17 and 18, Romans 6, 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Sin was once your master, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, that is the gospel which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And note there verse 22, but now being made free from sin and become what? Servants of God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God that we have a loving master. And what a privilege it is to serve him as his bond slave or bond slaves. A worthy servant is one that recognizes this privilege and acts honorably before his master. It's interesting, when I looked up the word servant in the New Testament, it comes from a base word, doulos, which is mentioned over 124 times in the New Testament. And that is the word translated uh, servant, doulos, slave. It comes from a, a word which means to bind, so it has the idea of being a slave, a a, a, a bond slave. And except for three times, it's translated servant. And the Apostle Paul referred to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. What an honor, what an honor it is for you and I to be bond servants of Jesus Christ. See, we've studied the guidelines there in Exodus 21 <clears throat> on how to treat a Jewish slave. Slaves would be treated with honor and dignity. This is how we should treat one another in our homes, in the workplace, in school, and in the church. But as I've said, as a way of application, there are no guidelines for how God must treat us. For he is our loving God. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our Master. His divine nature is the assurance that he will always treat us well. And we should, spiritually speaking, voluntarily say, Lord... I want to remain your bond slave. 
I want to remain under your care. I want to serve you. I'm convinced of your love towards me. I'm convinced of your care for me. I'm convinced that you love me. I want to remain with you, my master. Oh, beloved, this evening, do we take this for granted? Or are we doing what our master has ordered us to do? Are we obeying our gracious, loving master? See, it was spelled out in the pages of the Old Testament how a Jewish individual was to treat a fellow Jewish individual. And the obligation of the master to treat the servant with respect and dignity and to provide for their needs. And the Apostle Paul cherished the fact that he was a bond servant of Jesus Christ. As it reads there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, ourselves, your servants, your bond slaves, for Jesus' sake. So let me encourage you this evening as we've studied within the pages of the Old Testament what the guidelines were when it came to slavery amongst the Jewish people. We see the principle of treating one another honourably. No matter position. No matter authority let us do good unto all men especially unto those that are of the household of faith when was the last time you went out of your way to do something special for somebody that was part of the household of faith And we that are part of the household of faith, may we never lose sight of the fact that we have a wonderful master. We are no longer under the master of sin. We have a new master, Jesus Christ. He who loves us, he who cares for us, let's serve him faithfully. Let's bow for prayer.